Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out front next, breaking news, a deadly blast outside a Gaza hospital. Israel now claiming responsibility this as Israeli forces close in on Gaza City. Plus, an exclusive dispatch from CNN journalist Ibrahim Daman. We've been following his harrowing journey out of Gaza here on Out Front, and tonight we can report Ibrahim and his wife and their two young sons have made it to Egypt. And also more breaking news, free to speak, an appeals court freezing a gag order against Donald Trump in the federal election interference case, while a New York judge expands a gag order on Trump in another case. Let's go out front. Good evening, everyone. I'm Kate Baldwin, in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, breaking news. Israel ramping up its bombardment of Gaza. And tonight, acknowledging it was behind a deadly blast outside the Al-Shifa hospital in Gaza City. Now, I want to warn you, the images we're going to show you, they are graphic as they've been coming in. According to multiple videos that CNN has geolocated, we, you can see through here, Bloodied bodies just strewn across the ground near an ambulance. A spokesman for the Hamas-run health ministry claims authorities had organized a medical convoy from the hospital to the Rafah crossing. That spokesperson says that the ambulances, as the, when the ambulances started to move south, they were hit. And a director of the hospital tells Al Jazeera this, medical teams and paramedics lost their lives. Regrettably, some of the wounded lost their lives. Tonight, the International Committee of the Red Cross confirms it was aware of a convoy that would be carrying patients from northern Gaza to the south. But according to the Israeli military, it struck an ambulance that was being used by Hamas. Here's the quote from the IDF. An IDF aircraft struck an ambulance that was identified by forces as being used by a Hamas terrorist cell in close proximity to their position in the battle zone. A number of Hamas terrorist operatives were killed in the strike. However, it also appears civilians were also killed and injured. And that is why today, Secretary of State Tony Blinken, on his third trip to Israel since the October 7th Hamas terror attack, pressed Israel's leaders to do more to protect civilians in Gaza and allow more humanitarian aid to enter the 25-mile-long strip. That public request was rebuffed by Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, saying Israel objects to any temporary ceasefire unless... Hamas frees all 241 hostages. So that means more strikes in Gaza. And tonight we have another dispatch from an aid worker, Mahmoud Shalabi. He's been sending updates to Outfront from northern Gaza, the focus on the Israeli offensive. Tonight, Shalabi describes what he witnessed 
after a blast near his home. Men, fathers carrying their daughters and their children and, and crying like babies. And I saw one child, one child who's, who's about 12 years old, who was saying, I did nothing. I did nothing. Civilians saying the very same thing on both sides of the Israel-Hamas war now. Jeremy Diamond is out front live along the Israel-Gaza border for us. Melissa Bell is in Cairo, Egypt. I want to start with Jeremy. Jeremy, what more are you hearing about this strike on, the, in an, ambulance, on an ambulance in Gaza City? Okay, first of all, I mean, you saw those images, scenes of absolute devastation outside Al-Shifa Hospital, where this convoy of ambulances was apparently heading south. Uh, Palestinian uh, health authorities say that this convoy of ambulances was carrying wounded individuals who were heading to the Rafah crossing uh, with Egypt in order to get those uh, wounded individuals evacuated. As we have seen over the last several days, some wounded have been allowed to leave into Egypt. But Israel paints a very different picture here, Kate. They say that uh, these ambulances uh, were being used by Hamas operatives and that it targeted those ambulances for that reason, uh, saying that it killed several Hamas militants in this strike. Israel also points out that it believes that Hamas has used ambulances in the past to transport not only Hamas militants, but also some of its weaponry. Uh, CNN cannot, of course, independently verify those claims, and Israel so far has not provided any evidence for that. But what we do know, Kate, is the toll of casualties here. According to the Hamas-run Palestinian Ministry of Health, 15 people were killed in this strike. 50 others were wounded. Uh, the Palestinian Ministry of Health, again, says that injured people were being carried in these ambulances. It also says that it requested uh, the International Red Cross to accompany the convoy. The Red Cross confirming that it received that request, but says that it did not take part in this convoy. Uh, nonetheless, this is raising more questions about Israel's tactics in this war following the strikes earlier this week in the densely populated Jabalia refugee camp. Meanwhile, Kate, Hamas is continuing to target Israeli towns and cities, targeting population centers, civilian targets uh, in, in Israel. Uh, earlier today, Kate, our team was very close to one of those strikes. A rocket came in about 100 meters away from where a number of journalists, including my team, uh, was positioned uh, in Sterot. And I want to show you this video, Kate, shot by my photojournalist, Matthias Sum. You can hear the power of that rocket coming in. Listen. And Kate, following uh, that strike, uh, we were actually able to see the crater where that rocket made impact. It damaged several vehicles. It actually landed, at least one of those two rockets landed in the courtyard of a kindergarten. Uh, there were no children, of course, there at the time. School is ha has been closed in Sterot for the time being. Uh, but obviously, as you know, Kate, the Iron Dome missile defense system takes out the overwhelming majority of these rockets, but it does not take them all out. Kate. Right. Jeremy, thank you so much, Jeremy Diamond in Israel for us. Out front with me now, Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus. He's the international spokesman for the IDF. Thank you so much for coming on. What more can you tell us about the strikes on the ambulance? Why did you strike so near a hospital? Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, there's fighting ongoing. We are at war against Hamas in northern Gaza and all over Gaza, but focusing on the northern Gaza Strip. Our forces saw terrorists using ambulances as a vehicle to move around. They perceived a threat and accordingly 
uh, we struck that ambulance. I must say that this is not the first and not the hundredth time that Hamas operatives, including senior leaders, make use, illegal use of ambulances on the battlefield. They use them as their taxis in order to get from one place to another, specifically seniors. And it is not the first time. They did it in 2014. They're doing it again. And we are well within our legal rights, according to the laws of armed conflict, once they use it and we perceive it as a threat to attack it. Who, in that strike, who can you, who was taken out? I mean, were they high level um, operatives within Hamas? Do you have the names of who was taken out or who was being targeted? No, this wasn't a targeted killing of someone. This was during combat. Our troops saw that they were using the ambulance and trying to uh, either escape or attack using that. And that is why they were struck. Hopefully we'll be able to provide intelligence and more footage and information about it. But we have other uh, information, which we're also able to show and have shared with uh, CNN and others, of uh, how uh, ambulances have been seen, and we have caught it on camera, ambulances have been seen in Hamas locations, Hamas camps, where they are next to the locations of uh, the headquarters, and they are used not to transport wounded, but in order to get senior and uh, other commanders from one place to another without the risk of being followed or attacked by the idea. The numbers from the Hamas-run Ministry of Health coming out um, are 15 killed and I think it was 50 wounded. Um, there's no distinction in those numbers of uh, who was civilian and who was uh, you know, connected with Hamas. Do you know? A combatant or a terrorist, yes. It's, it's okay to say those words. Do you know? Uh, I know, I see a lot of pictures of young men. Uh, I don't see weapons. Maybe they were conveniently uh, hidden before TV crews came there to, uh, for this whole orchestrated event. But uh, bottom line, we know that there were Hamas operatives there. I don't have the finite number, but I am certain that there were Hamas activist terrorists there who were trying to use an ambulance in order to facilitate their movement while fighting was ongoing. You know, Colonel, um, today, earlier today, I spoke with an American politician who supports Israel, supports Israel's right to defend itself. He's also on the Armed Services Committee. And he says that the bombing of innocent civilians needs to stop. And the way he said it is today. And here's what he said to me. He said, I don't think if you're using hundreds of civilians as a human shield, meaning Hamas, and you have one terrorist, that that justifies a bombing. Why not go about this in a more surgical way? Yeah, I don't think that that is ever, ever the case, one for a hundred. Uh, that doesn't uh, seem logical for me at all, and that doesn't at all compute with the calculations that I am aware of that the IDF does. It, it would, would have to be Yechia Sinwar and Mohammed Def together uh, to warrant that kind of uh, collateral damage. That is not the case. The sad reality is that we have asked civilians to evacuate, including in the pictures that you're showing from uh, different uh, areas in Gaza. We have asked them to evacuate because we know that Hamas is trying to use them as their human shields. We know that it will be dangerous. And we have told them this isn't a safe place to be. Go south. Those that have stayed have done it at their own agency, which is regrettable. I'm sure that some have been forced to stay by Hamas, which is appalling and a war crime preventing civilians to flee to safety by Hamas is an active war crime, which they should be criticized and called out for doing. 
And I don't think that the focus should be on what Israel is doing in order to defend ourselves. And please let me say that this started not by Israeli activity. We are now a month in a war because Hamas invaded into Israel, butchered our civilians and took our civilians hostage. And they're holding 240 of them in Gaza as we speak. That is what this is about. I mean, that that is accurate. This started because of a horrific terror attack on Israel from Hamas terrorists coming from Gaza. But as we heard also from the Secretary of State today saying very clearly that where this has gotten to is that Israel needs to do more to protect Palestinian civilians in the midst of your rightful um, operation and obligation to defend yourself. So that's what we're getting at with this conversation. Lieutenant Colonel, indeed, go ahead. Indeed, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we should, and we, we are doing. We are we are doing a lot. There's more and more humanitarian aid coming in. There's a humanitarian zone. We are supplying water to southern Gaza. There's medicine and food coming into the south. We have told people to evacuate. What more can we do while not stopping the fighting and what while not giving Hamas any room to breathe? Because mind everybody, we are at war, right? This isn't about uh, something else. We are at war. What more can be done except for, uh, you know, stop fighting, which isn't on the table? I think we have to be clear about the situation, be honest. Yes, there is civilian suffering, which is sad and regrettable, not, the, not something that we want. We are trying to minimize it. But I think some people, and I'm not calling names, some people are perhaps getting carried away with the visuals and seeing suffering and then forgetting how we got here and what really is at stake. We are in a situation where we cannot return to the, uh, to the um, reality of before uh, October 7th. We can't go back there because our communities won't be able to go back and live in safety. And in order for us to return, we have to eradicate Hamas. Lieutenant Colonel. Thank you for always coming on to speak with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. I thank appreciate you. it. Up front with me now, retired Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling. General Hurtling, thank you. You were listening to, my, to the conversation right now, right there with um, Colonel Conricus. What's your reaction to what you just heard from the IDF about, about the strike on the ambulance in Gaza? Whenever you see the visuals of these kind of strikes with the horrific death and injuries that are involved, Kate, the emotions take over. But uh, unfortunately, I have a little bit of a bias, and I must admit that because I have seen in combat ambulances being used by terrorist organizations to do the things exactly that Colonel Henrique said. Mm -hmm. That is what happens when you fight terrorist organizations. And there, it's an attempt to, you know, there, there was a once a Greek philosopher that said truth is the first casualty of war. In today's battlefield fights, against terrorism, you also have to understand that disinformation is the first weapon to be deployed to fight against terrorism, in, in the fight against terrorism. So all of these things come together and it's difficult for the uninitiated to see these kind of scenes and, and not attempt to blame someone. And it's usually the person that's fired the round. But I can certainly see the argument if the intelligence is shown, if the information is shown by the Israeli Defense Forces that they had an active target there of a terrorist group using ambulances, which is against the law of land warfare, uh, to transport people around. So, yeah. And, and, and I know it's connected to The Wall Street Journal had an article that said, yeah, but the Red Cross was notified. Well, of course they were notified. This adds to the plausibility that Hamas might be using to say, hey, we even notified the Red Cross and they still struck us. Well, that gives them the ability to blame Israel even more. It's, that's 
It's an important perspective. That's why I always love having you on, General. The IDF also says that fighters in Gaza are, in, are engaged in underground battles right now. And we're going to show you some new video that was released by the IDF today. And they say shows a Hamas tunnel. You see that hole right there. It's about just enough for one person to fit through, drop in, head down. Is Israeli est- uh, officials estimate that there is more than 300 miles of this network across Gaza, this tunnel network. When you think of what has been done so far, the number of strikes trying to collapse this network, what is, but how vast it still is, what is it going to take to take this all out and eliminate this part of the threat? A lot, Kate. I, I, I don't know. I can't put a figure on it. But when you're talking about a hole like that, like you're showing, there are probably thousands of birds all over the Gaza Strip. And the tunnel complexes are, are estimated to be over 300 miles long uh, in different directions. Imagine trying to completely eliminate all of the subways in New York City. That's about the same kind of problem set you have right now. And Hamas has been building these tunnels while they've been starving the Palestinian people, taking funds away from them. And they are responsible for these things. And they use them as a subterranean approach to maneuver, to move around the battlefield. And I'd suggest possibly uh, one of the reasons this ambulance was possibly transporting Hamas fighters is because some of the tunnels have been uh, actually uh, destroyed and they're trying to get out of the area back to other locations where there, are, uh, where there are tunnels and they have to do that movement above ground as opposed to underground. Again, that's supposition on my part, but having fought in these kind of fights before and seen the kind of tunnels that are in uh, uh, Israel and Gaza up close and personal, I can tell you this is a tough fight and it's going to take a very long time. And it's going to get tougher. General Hortling, thank you. Out front for us next, an exclusive dispatch dispatch from CNN journalist Ibrahim Daman, who for weeks we have followed as he and he has tried to get his family out of Gaza. Tonight we can report that they have just crossed the border into Egypt. Plus, we have some more breaking news. Trump's gag order on hold. Trump no longer barred, at least for now, from going after those involved in his federal election interference case. We're going to break down why an appeals court just hit the pause button there. And anger over Biden's support for Israel is having a real effect on his standing with a crucial group of voters. I did vote for Joe Biden in 2020. Do you plan to vote for him in 2024? I do not. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it 
<clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, Ibrahim Daman, the CNN journalist in Gaza, who has been sharing exclusive dispatches on his family's struggle to stay alive and fight to get out of Gaza, they are now out of Gaza, passing safely through the Rafah crossing earlier today. For 28 days, Ibrahim witnessed so much tragedy, pain, and fear. You'll remember how he documented his journey out of northern Gaza with his wife, Rasha, who is four months pregnant, and their two young sons, who are 11 and 7 years old. They started teaching their children how to feed themselves in the event that he and his wife died. And he also showed us what they had to do, some of the things they had to do to survive, including drinking water that was meant to fill toilets. Tonight, they are in Egypt. Listen to this. انتظرت أنا وعائلتي ساعات عند معبر رفح مرورا بنقاط التفتيش لكننا الآن عبرنا أخيرا اليوم اجتزنا المعبر المصري وأين متوجهين إلى القاهرة مبسوطة خليل إيش بتقول وانت يا زيد Thank God they're out safely, he says. Tonight, nearly 1,100 people, including hundreds of people with foreign passports and dozens of people who were, who were wounded, have also been able to leave Gaza through that same crossing. The agreements seem to be holding. But some, as Melissa Bell is reporting tonight, are tormented by their decision to leave. For nearly a month now, Gaza has been almost entirely cut off. Now, finally, some are getting out, bringing images like these captured on their phones along with their stories. I don't think there are enough words in the English dictionary to actually describe what every Gazan is going through right now. The pictures of Amal and Jacopo as they got through Rafa on Wednesday speak of their relief. As an Italian, he was lucky to be one of the first out, as his wife, Amal, was allowed through with him, even though she's Palestinian. For two days we were completely blacked out. You can just think of the worst, and you keep on telling, we're going to be next. That's what you keep on telling yourself. It's going to be us next. The humanitarian situation is catastrophic. We can't find water 
food, bread. When people go to bakeries, they freaking die because they have bombed almost all of the bakeries in Gaza. What difference would a humanitarian pause make? Like it's not important to reach a humanitarian truce, but uh, an actual ceasefire, a prolonged one, uh, with strong conditions. A Gazan would say they are giving us some painkillers and then they're going to continue wiping us out. But at least you would have the ability to get water. I don't know if they will allow fuel because now it's a major no-no, of course. But we will manage to get some water and uh, some food and then they can just kill us. But with no hope in sight, Amal and Jacopo made the hardest of choices, leaving behind an entirely besieged and bombarded Gaza. Our role is to say, like, uh, together with, like, with the population, like people in need, uh, so many people are talking about this, uh, this coming out as a victory for us, but it's not a victory, like we are, like, it's a, it's a loss for everyone. To be honest, since yesterday, I was already regretting going out. Because I was, the entire day, I was unable to reach my family. So I couldn't even tell them that I made it safely and I'm okay. And I know that's, Yani, my mom, she actually begged me to go out. For me, I wouldn't have done it. And I still feel I shouldn't have gone out, you know, the survival guilt. They say the future is impossible to imagine even as they head to Italy with their heads full of Gaza and their hearts desperate to return. Now, Kate, Jacopo and Amal were amongst the first to get out, but that process has continued. Several more hundred got out today. We understand there have now been 79 American citizens who've gone out of Gaza, and we expect that over the coming days and weeks, uh, they will... Uh, the Egyptians have confirmed they plan to get all 7,000 foreign and dual nationals, but so many of them, being either aid workers or people with deep ties to Gaza, uh, will be feeling some of those mixed emotions as they go, knowing exactly what it is they're leaving behind and very uncertain about what it is they'll ever be able to come back to. Yeah, still a, a rare bright spot in what we're seeing all along, that these, this agreement to reopen the Rafa crossing is holding and people are getting out. Melissa Bell, thank you so much. Out front for us next, the breaking news. An appeals court putting a freeze on Donald Trump's gag order in the federal elections case. While his gag order in the Trump org fraud trial, it just got bigger. What is going on here? We will try to explain. Plus, American drones now over Gaza trying to help locate some of the 241 hostages. I'm going to talk to a father whose son is believed to be one of them. And he's going to share the last text messages that the family received from him. Marfalin, some more breaking news. A federal appeals court just issuing a temporary freeze on the gag order against Donald Trump in the special counsel's Jack Smith's 2020 election interference case. This is a D.C. case. That gag order had barred the former president from criticizing potential witnesses in the case, as well as the special counsel's team. Let's get right to CNN legal affairs correspondent Paula Reed for more on this one. Paula, what does this freeze mean and what happens now? Well, Kate, in a little over two weeks, a three-judge panel here in Washington, D.C. will hear arguments about whether this gag order is actually constitutional. And while we're waiting for that answer, the former president is not bound by this set of restrictions. Now, Judge Tanya Chutkin is the judge overseeing the federal election subversion case here in Washington, D.C. As you noted, that's the case brought by special counsel Jack Smith. She imposed this gag order 
at the request of prosecutors after the former president uh, appeared to attack several different people involved in this case, including the judge herself. Now, as part of this gag order, he is barred from targeting witnesses, people who work for the court, as well as the special counsel prosecutors and Jack Smith himself. But Trump's lawyers argue that's unconstitutional. They emphasize his status as a candidate for the White House and say that he is entitled to a heightened uh, level of free speech and there should be a very high standard before that is restricted. Now, the judges on the Court of Appeals, they are clearly fast-tracking this. This argument will be heard by two judges appointed by former President Barack Obama and one appointed by President Joe Biden. But, Kate, the question of the extent to which you can restrict the speech of a presidential candidate who is a criminal defendant across multiple jurisdictions, that has never been contemplated before. So this could eventually end up at the Supreme Court. The, the common refrain that we have to we have to maintain throughout all of this, Paula. Thank you so much, Paula. So in a separate case, one that could end Donald Trump's business empire, the judge there just expanded a gag order, now barring Trump's lawyers from discussing confidential communications between the judge and his staff in or out of the courtroom. This comes as the Trump Organization Executive Vice President Eric Trump testified that he couldn't answer certain questions about how Trump properties were assessed because, and here's the quote, this is just not what an executive at my level focuses on, and that he trusted accountants to prepare, quote unquote, perfect financial statements. Eric Trump then on the stand claims that he and his siblings have been unfairly targeted in the case. Listen to this outside of court. They've dragged on and I and locked into it as collateral damage. They only want our names in this thing because it sensationalizes the case. We've done absolutely nothing wrong. Out front with me now, Bloomberg News' Eric Larson. He's been in court each day. And Ryan Goodman, our out front legal expert. It has been too long since I've seen you, Ryan. It's great to meet you, Eric. Okay, so let's start with what happened in court. The entire time that Eric Trump has been on the stand and in court, Eric, he has tried to essentially say, this stuff is not mine. This is not on my shoulders. This is somebody else's. Today, it was, this is not what an executive at my level focuses on. Yesterday, it was, I focus on construction. I don't focus on appraisals. Did the judge seem to buy what he was saying? You know, it's really hard to say because the judge, uh, he gives everyone a chance to say what they want to say on the stand without making any you know, faces or asking any obvious questions that could see what it, say what he's thinking. But we have one big clue, and that happened before the trial even started, when the judge ruled uh, that all of the defendants were liable for fraud right. just based on the evidence that had been gathered so far. So that was the state's biggest and most important claim. And I, I think that the judge has pretty good uh, reason to be skeptical only because the, the state did present Eric Trump on the stand today with documents, internal Trump organization documents, suggesting that he was aware of the statement of financial condition at the center of this case. Um, and his role in providing certain figures that were going into it. And I think he described it at one point as, you know, the nitty gritty that he wasn't involved in. But these were actually appraisals that were pretty important to him for big properties that he was in charge of. Mm -hmm. um, and that, according to the state, were wildly overvalued on these financial statements. This is also getting at something that I have been curious about and how this is going. Eric Trump, Don Jr., they were called by the state as their witnesses. Do you think the state got out of them what they wanted? Uh, very much so. I you think do. that the state attorneys um, probably went home this week very happy with the results. So they got so many different things out of them, including 
them contradicting one another and then contradicting themselves. So Eric Trump is, in fact, on the stand having to admit that he had just said that he did not know about his uh, father's personal statements of financial condition until the case began. And they show him an email from 2013. He says, OK, yeah, that does look like it. Uh, he says, I was never involved in... That doesn't in... feel like that's a good moment for anyone sitting <laughs> no, on the stand. Right, right. <laughs> so, and, if, and if you're the uh, uh, prosecutors, uh, you might be just thinking that is wonderful. That's gold. We, you hardly get things like that. And it all amounts to one big implication, which is their credibility. And at the end of the day, the judge is going to probably find that he finds them non-credible. Mm. That's very damaging. And it's damaging in so many ways because on appeal, that's fairly insulated. It's the trial court judge's opinion based when he sees their demeanor, he sees their answers. If he finds that they don't have that level of credibility, it's hard to overturn him. So up next, Eric, is Donald Trump himself. He's scheduled right. to testify on Monday. This feels like this could be a huge moment. Eric Trump, just as he left court today, he's offered up a bit of a preview in his perspective of what we can expect from his father next week. Let's listen to this. My father's certainly going to be here. I know he's very fired up to be here. And he thinks that this is one of the most incredible injustices that he's ever seen. That from Eric Trump, also a co-defendant in this case. What do you expect to see from Donald Trump next week? What's, like the, what's this going to look like? I think he is going to use every answer that he gives as an opportunity to defend himself, to try to do as his sons did and distance himself as much as possible from these annual statements and also shift blame as much as possible onto their accountants and lawyers and other folks who were involved at the Trump organization at the time. That's also what his sons did on the stand. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not it'll be believable because so he has a paper trail of sorts showing that he has a big interest in these financial statements and making sure that they got bigger rather than smaller. And that was the directive that, according to some other witnesses, he had given. Um, so it, it'll be real interesting to see which documents they present to him first to get him to explain himself. Absolutely. Okay, gag orders. We've got one gag order in New York that is now expanding. We have a gag order that is now on ice in D.C. What is actually happening with this? What do you make of, of what is happening in D.C.? For anyone, for the casual viewer, it's quite confusing. Yeah, so the trial judge imposed a gag order that basically says Donald Trump shall not target any of the witnesses or court officials until the trial begins and even during the trial because it, one major concern is intimidating witnesses and another one is polluting the jury pool. It seems quite logical, so... Very logical. And I do think it will be upheld on appeal for that reason. But in the meantime, what the panel did today, this afternoon, of the Court of Appeals is just say, we're going to stay that until we get to decide. Mm. So let's freeze things in place. Okay. Frozen until it doesn't. It is unfrozen, I guess. <laughs> Great to see you guys. Thank you so much. Alfred, for us next, U.S. drones now over Gaza trying to find the 241 people still held hostage by Hamas. Next, I'm going to talk to a father whose son is missing. Plus, Arab American and Muslim voters have a powerful message for Joe Biden. I can't promise you that he will get five votes from Arab Americans in the city of Dearborn. Tonight, enough is enough. Muslim and Arab American voters outraged over President Biden's firm support of Israel. But how much of an impact could it have on his reelection? Diane Gallagher's out front in Dearborn, Michigan. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. 
We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hack Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Can't ignore history. It's not a statement Iman Hamoud ever thought she'd make. I voted for Biden. Going to vote for him again in 2024? I mean, if you would have asked me a month ago, I would have said absolutely 100%, no doubt about it. But honestly, the past few weeks have changed everything, and I don't know anymore. The Michigan immigration attorney is one of a growing number of Muslim and Arab Americans who say they are reconsidering their support for President Joe Biden due to his response to the humanitarian crisis and rising death toll in Gaza. The Democratic Party risks losing a generation of young voters and multiple generations of Arab American and Muslim voters. Perhaps nowhere is this sentiment more pronounced than here in Dearborn, which has been called the Arab capital of North America. We sat down with Democrats who helped elect Biden. I did vote for Joe Biden in 2020. Do you plan to vote for him in 2024? I do not. I will gladly turn in an empty ballot. If the election was to be held today and President Biden is on the ballot and we have to go out and vote today, I can't promise you that he will get five votes from Arab Americans in the city of Dearborn. Adam Abu Salah, a Palestinian American, worked on the 2020 campaign as a Biden fellow doing outreach to the Arab community. The man that I went out and knocked on doors for, I feel guilt and I absolutely do regret um, what I did on the Biden campaign. When we thought that he would be somebody that could lead with humanity and compassion, we were wrong. Some are prepared to boycott Biden, even if it means potentially handing the election to the current Republican frontrunner, former President Donald Trump. We're no longer going to consider the lesser of two evils. The White House has both publicly and privately pointed to recent reach-outs with the Arab, Palestinian and Muslim communities, as well as the call for a humanitarian pause. Be it aid out and to continue to work to get people out safely. And announcing an effort to combat Islamophobia. That kind of hate has no place. Efforts dismissed by the people we spoke with as damage control, adding the only way to maybe save their votes is by calling for an immediate ceasefire. Enough is enough. We need to cease fire. Michigan is second only to California in residents who identify as Middle Eastern or North African, according to the U.S. Census. In 2020, Biden won the state by nearly 155,000 votes. Imgage, a national organization dedicated to getting out the Muslim vote, says 145,000 Muslim Michiganders voted in 2020. Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud says Democrats can no longer take his community's vote for granted. We're not here to prostitute ourselves to the lowest bidder in order for us to be recognized and for our humanity to actually be seen. Now, the Biden campaign released a statement to CNN saying, in part, President Biden continues to work closely and proudly with leaders in the Muslim and Palestinian communities in America to listen to them, stand up for them and fight back against hate. And Kate, we're in Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib's district here tonight. She just posted a video that echoes her constituents that you just heard there writing at the end of it. Biden support a ceasefire now or don't count on us in 2024. Diane, thank you so much for that. Joining me right now for more on this, to go beyond these numbers, to dig a little deeper, Harry Enton's here. It's good to see you, Harry. So you heard Diane's report. She's talking, you know, she's looking at the whole state and also focusing in on Dearborn. Do you think Dearborn alone could make a difference? I, I absolutely believe that. You know, Diane was talking about 2020, but remember in 2016, Donald Trump carried the state of Michigan by a little bit more than 10,000 votes. 
How many voters have cast ballots in presidential elections in Dearborn the past few cycles? A little bit more than 40,000 on average. So the fact is, Dearborn, if it goes one way versus the other, if it swings towards the Republicans, it could make the difference in Michigan, which, of course, has been a very tight race, uh, very tight state over the last few cycles. That is true. I mean, <clears throat> if you look, you know, in recent recent history, Dearborn usually goes for Democrats. I, I would say probably overwhelmingly is a, is a safe is a safe thing to say. But you've also been looking into the past and you've there have been, though, wild swings. Absolutely right. You know, Joe Biden carried Dearborn, Michigan, by about 39 percentage points last okay. time around. Okay. But you go back to the beginning of this century. You know, George W. Bush actually won Dearborn, Michigan in 2000. He won it in 2000 by eight percentage points. Hmm. Then you flip forward, though, to 2004, and you see John Kerry carried it rather easily. What happened between 2000 and 2004? 9-11, well, the Iraq War. Exactly. And there was a lot of backlash towards the Republicans handling of that in the Muslim and Arab communities. So Dearborn is a place that has flipped dramatically. It's, it's emblematic of the Muslim and Arab communities, which were much friendlier to George W. Bush in 2000 and 2004. Don't be surprised if, you know, Muslim Americans and Arab Americans might go against Joe Biden, especially based on the reports that we're seeing. But do you see evidence that Biden's standing with Israel, our ally in the Middle East, has hurt him nationally here? Actually, no. So, you know, we talked about, you know, in the first two slides, you know, how it could potentially hurt him in yeah. 2024. But if you look at his approval rating on, this, uh, on his Israeli policy, it's actually higher than his overall approval rating. His disapproval rating is considerably lower than his overall disapproval rating. So the fact is, you know, this may play one way in the Arab and Muslim communities, but it could play very, very differently in America as a whole. And that's at least what we're seeing, at least initially. We'll just have to wait and see if that holds. And you have heard that, I mean, anecdotally from Democrat and Republican lawmakers that they initially kind of coming together or supporting, and there are obviously, you know, extremes, but supporting what Biden is doing and his support for Israel so far. But let's see, because it's going to be a long war. It's going to be a long one. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks. Out front next, U.S. drones are now scouring Gaza, looking for any sign of the 241 hostages. Next, we're going to talk to a father whose son is missing. Plus, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg responds to a K-File report about Speaker Mike Johnson's anti-gay views. Tonight, the U.S. military is now flying drones over Gaza in hopes of helping Israel locate the 241 people still being held hostage by Hamas. Among them, 26-year-old Alan Lulu Shemriz. He was taken, along with 18 others, from his kibbutz, where 59 people were killed. And that attack, of course, was nearly one month ago tonight. His father, Avi Shemriz, joins me now. Thank you for being here. Have you heard anything from the IDF about your son now 28 days in? I mean, is he confirmed among the kidnapped? Unfortunately not. Uh, my son was kidnapped on 7th uh, of October, and we got only the first uh, indication after 10 days, after we brought the IDF uh, some messages uh, from his uh, neighbor claiming that uh, somebody is ki kidnapping my son to Gaza. And ever since then, the government and the IDF uh, give us an indication that he might be kidnapped. Until now, we don't have any uh, evidence that he is there. I, mean, I know I said it, but 28 days it's been. 
and the not knowing firmly, I mean, does that make this even worse somehow? It's worse and getting worse every day because we are uh, seeking for some, some indication if he's alive, if he's injured, and nobody is giving us any indication. We ask many, many times the Argentinian government to, to be involved because my son is a citizen of Argentina, and they sent some posts to the, the Hamas, but even then, uh, the Hamas is not responding for anything. What, Avi, what is your biggest fear for your son right now? Well, <clears throat> right now, the IDF, the Israeli uh, military is uh, in, in, in attack in Gaza. And I'm, I'm afraid that they might hurt him while they are coming in and, uh, and in Gaza. And uh, he might be injured from that. For me, first, take the uh, hostages and all our children out, and then the government can do anything they want. But first, let's release all the hostages from them. The fear of potentially hurting him while trying to help him and save him. I mean, so do you want to see a pause in the fighting to help get Alan home? Do you think it would, do you think it would help? Well, I'm, I'm not a military guy. I'm just a citizen. I don't know if POST is going to, to help or not. Um, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I think it will be paused. Maybe the, the Hamas will uh, take over and then they move the hostages from one place to another. And maybe right now they are now keep them in one place. So it might be uh, an advantage for the Hamas. I don't know. I don't know what to think. It's impossible. It's an impossible nightmare that you are, you are caught in the middle of. Um, Alana managed to message your other son, Jonathan, while he was hiding in a safe room. And this was just moments before Hamas took him. And you shared with a little bit of what he wrote. He wrote, they're coming yes. toward our room. Be quiet wrote Jonathan, I'm telling the, the security forces what's going on. And Jonathan then wrote, be strong, we love you. And then the last message from Alan before he went missing was a heart emoji. Yes. How well, uh, Alan, Alan is very, very tough guy. He's not uh, uh, somebody who will be afraid from the Hamas. But this situation is very different from what we thought ever. We never thought that 150 Hamas terrorists will come to our village and start to massacre people. And alone, uh, as much as is uh, mature, is not a, a child. Um, he, he tried to protect his friend because his friend was knocking on his door and asking him to uh, to get out from the shelter room. So he doesn't want that his friend will be injured. He went out. So heroism so, in the face of everything that, I mean, not even knowing what was going to happen, but heroism. And still, no matter what, no matter how old he gets, he's still your boy. Avi, thank you for coming on and, and speaking about your son.
We'll continue to hope. Thank you. Thank you very much. Out front for us next, Secretary Pete Buttigieg responding to a K-File report on Speaker Mike Johnson's controversial, controversial views about gay people. Tonight, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg responding to a K-File report we first told you about. K-File uncovering new House Speaker Mike Johnson's long record of anti-gay comments. He also worked with a group that promoted gay conversion therapy. Our K-File unearthing an op-ed from Johnson in 2004, where he claimed same-sex marriage would lead to people marrying their pets. Earlier today, my colleague John Berman, he spoke to Secretary Buttigieg and asked him for his response. I will admit it's a little bit difficult driving the family minivan to drop our kids off at daycare, passing the dome of a Capitol, knowing that the Speaker of the House sitting under that dome doesn't even think our family ought to exist. Thank you so much for joining us. AC360 starts now. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 